Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, we finish off in our series, God, Our Light and Life, as we went through the book of 1 John. Pastor David will be preaching from 1 John 5, 18 through 21. And the name of this sermon is called Knowing Him. Let's join Pastor David now. Father, we, we come before you. We thank you for this Sunday to, um, to declare your praise, to pray to you, to encourage and build one another up through these reminders that we have sung, to see baptisms, Lord, take place, these physical, literal expressions of a spiritual transformation that has already taken place. We praise you for that. And Father, as we look at your word, we would ask that you would continue to work in us. Lord, I pray for all who can hear my voice, Lord. Encourage the discouraged, strengthen the weak, provide hope to those who are struggling with hopelessness and despair. Provide confidence, Lord, to the anxious. Uh, Give us your presence, Lord, by your spirit, through your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as we are wrapping up this series through 1 John, we've seen all throughout the book from beginning to end just how true it is that God is. Our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is our light and our life. And as we approach the end of the book, we, we saw in um, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John actually shows us the purpose for this letter that John is writing actually to, to believers, to Christians, and he's, he writes in 1 John 5, 13, he writes these things that to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know it, that you may have confidence in it, that you may have assurance, dear Christian, that in Christ you are in him, and in him you are saved, and that you can know for sure that you have eternal life. And in many ways, by the time we get to 1 John 5, 13, it's actually been no surprise. We've seen that theme and that thread, that strain, and this idea uh, coming through the entire uh, book of 1 John. Let me summarize just a short list of 16 reminders that we've seen this throughout the whole book. Check this out. Our assurance in knowing him is shown by obeying and following him. It's being God's child. It's shown by righteous living. It's knowing Jesus, who is God. Our assurance in knowing him is shown by loving believers as Christ loved us. It's belonging to the truth. It's uh, shown by freedom from guilt and shame. It's receiving the Spirit. It's knowing the Spirit, who is God. It's shown by accepting Scripture's teaching. Our assurance in knowing him is shown by loving others. It's being given the Spirit. It's knowing we're loved by Him. It's shown by love for others and obedience to God. Our assurance in knowing Him is knowing God's Son, Jesus Christ. All of these things show us that the entire book, a a massive theme of the book, which is summarized in 1 John 5.13, is this word of encouragement and confidence to Christians, to believers, that you may know, that you have eternal life. And we see all throughout the book, in some ways, these two categories of how we see this assurance play out, that our assurance is first, the, the, the root of our assurance, if I can say it that way, the root of our assurance in Christ is who we have. It's that we have Him. 
the root of our assurance is not in our efforts, it's not in our performance, it's not in how great I art. The root of our assurance is not rooted in us at all. It's actually, in some ways, outsourced to Christ. It's his vicarious atonement on our behalf. It's his performance. It's his work. It's his righteousness. It's his purity. It's his holiness that when we put our faith in him, becomes ours. The root of our assurance is in who we have, and we have Christ. And then the fruit of our assurance, the implications, uh, the things that flow from salvation in Christ, we see all throughout the letter of 1 John that the fruit of our assurance is shown in not who we have, but how we love, how we love God how we love God in obedience, how we love God in trust and discipleship and following him and saying no to sin and yes to righteousness, how we love God uh, in, in spending time with him in word and prayer, how we love God in all these different ways, how we love, but not only how we love God, but also how we love one another. And what a timely, important, convicting, hard, challenging message that this entire book of 1 John has urged us and pushed us and called us to live in light of who we have been made to be in Christ, that as we love one another, even in hard times, even in difficult times, even in times of disagreement, even when people might not see eye to eye on, on everything that is going on in our world, in our life, God calls us to love one another. And when we do that, we are revealing and showing the fruit of the assurance and salvation that we already have. So if that is what assurance is, rooted in who we have, revealed in how we love God and others. If that is assurance, then what are the implications of assurance for our life? What does assurance mean for you and I? What significance does that have for us as we navigate daily life? Well, the final four verses are going to speak just to that. So please do meet me uh, at 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 21, the last four verses of this New Testament book of 1 John. If you're using the Bible uh, in the chair in front of you or behind you, uh, it's on page 1213, 1213. 1 John chapter 5. Let me read the passage before we look at it closely. 1 John 5, 18. We know, we know, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know, second, second time we see this phrase repeated, we know in this passage that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 20, third time, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. If our assurance, if God is our light in our life and we have assurance in him, the significance that this shows for our daily life, we see in this first verse, is that assurance means that sin cannot take your soul, dear brother and sister in Christ. Assurance means that sin can no longer and no longer has hold or say or final control over your soul. Isn't that good news? Look at this verse one more time. Let me read it again. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. 
Now, we've seen throughout this letter, 1 John, as it's talked about in many passages and in different ways, uh, our relationship as humanity and our relationship as, as believers to sin. And when it says, verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of him, of God, those who've been regenerated, those who've been born again, those who have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who are of the family of God, Everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. Well, what does that mean? We've seen throughout the letter, you can uh, check back later this week or later today at 1 John chapter 3, reread that passage. It shows this idea in 1 John 3, 4, and 5. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. This idea that uh, when we sin, it reveals the condition of our heart. And when it's saying in 1 John 5, 18 that those who've been born of God do not keep on sinning. It's describing a human heart that has been, by faith, uh, by grace through faith, a heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh. And that having been regenerated and made new and saved, the human heart now is no longer, as it was before we were saved, no longer in open rebellion and rejection consistently and persistently our entire lives saying no to God and no to the gospel and no to Christ. Once we've given our lives to Him, we get a heart transplant. Everything changes. Our heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh. And what this phrase is talking about, keep on sinning, it's this perpetual, constant, continuous, forever rejection of God as, as the idea that he is a moral lawgiver, the rejection of God, certainly his son, Jesus Christ, a rejection of the gospel, that once we trust in Christ, that completely changes. And what that means is that, catch this, dear Christian, brother and sister in Christ, this only applies to Christians, and if you're not, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian yet, or you're checking out Christianity uh, this truth can be true of you. This is not a closed door. This is an open door. This is an offer. It's, it's something the Lord wants you to have. But do you know, Christians, that in Christ, you are free from the penalty of sin? Do you know that? Sometimes we can know that, but sometimes it can be hard to know that, if you're with me. Do you know that, Christian, you are free from the penalty of sin? Uh, summarized very well in a famous verse in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period, full stop. That in Christ, if we put our faith and trust and hope in him, we no longer are bearing the weight and the penalty and the condemning power of sin over our lives. How is that true? Why is that true? It's true because he, he swapped places with us. That he bore the wrath that we deserved. He took the punishment for us. He is our vicarious substitute. That in his death, God's wrath and justice is satisfied. And by faith in him, mercy and forgiveness and love can be given to us. And in Christ, the penalty of sin is gone. That's what this assurance means for you and I as Christians. Now, the penalty of sin is gone, and at the same time, fellow believers, we cannot deny sin's presence, nor can we be naive to sin's power. It's an interesting relationship that believers have with sin. We are free from the penalty of sin. Nothing can pluck you from his hand. We get this both and. We get this on the one hand, uh, we as Christians 
face sin with utter confidence, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We see this at least in one, many passages that affirm this truth, but I'm just going to draw attention to one. John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, my Father, who has given them to me, Jesus says, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So Jesus is saying, by faith, through grace, you are in his hand, and you're in the Father's hand. And Jesus and the Father are one. And my friends, if you are resting and residing in the hands of our triune Father, you can have confidence that nothing, nothing, nothing can pluck you from his hand. I remember in my journey of, of Christian discipleship, which I'm still on, we're all still on, but I remember along the way, I had someone ask me a question that was a help to me during a season where I was wrestling with my sense of eternal security. And they looked at me and asked me and said, David, if you have done nothing to earn your salvation in terms of your works and your efforts and your performance and your behavior and et cetera, et cetera, if you've done nothing to earn your salvation, if it's all of sheer grace, then what makes you think you can do something to lose your salvation? Nothing can pluck you from his hand. So on the one hand, we have this incredible confidence and hope and assurance that we are free from the penalty of sin. At the same time, fellow believers, because sin is still sticking around, we can't deny its presence, and we can't be naive to its power. Earlier in the book, in 1 John, remember in the opening chapter, there's a passage that, that basically says, if we say we have no sin, if we deny sin's presence in our lives, we're kind of crazy. We're delusional. We're, we're saying that God is a liar. Uh, well, and if anyone says, hey, I'm a Christian, and I've, <laughs> I've arrived. I'm sin-free. Well, once you help them see that that's an expression of pride, <laughs> you, can, you can realize, wait, that's, that's not true to what Scripture says. Until Christ returns, he's coming back, amen, and, and that's good news. Until he comes back, the presence of sin in our lives, in the world, in society, in families, in communities, and it's still there. And it's still powerful. There, sin is not something that is designed for us to manage. Sin is not something designed that we can just kind of experiment with. Sin is not something that, uh, uh, you know, might add a little spice and flavor to our life. Sin is something that if we let it get a foothold in our life, destroys our lives. Our soul in Christ is secure for those who have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. You have that assurance. You have that confidence. It cannot snatch your soul, but man can sin destroy our lives. It still has power. It can destroy families. It can destroy marriages. It can destroy careers. It can destroy your, your physical health. In some ways, sin, if, if left to, to, to take its full course, can even destroy our literal lives, our earthly lives. Sin can corrode relationships. Uh, bitterness and sin can, can create a wedge between people, between communities. 
Sin is not something to be trifled with. We can't deny its presence, and we can't deny its power. And as we look through this verse, simultaneously, this assurance gives us an incredible hope, and at the same time, it sobers us, doesn't it? That Christians, believers, as we think about our relationship with sin, it's something that we simultaneously can be triumphant in, in the sense that God's got you if you are in Him. He has your soul. But at the same time, we're not cocky at all, are we? Because we know it's a salvation that we didn't earn. It's all given by grace. That humbles us. And we know that sin is incredibly powerful. And, and often much more present than, than it's comfortable to acknowledge or admit. That sobers us. It humbles us. It, it forces us to throw ourselves again and again and again at the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Not that we're trying to get saved over and over and again, but that we need his grace every single day. Every single day to walk into the reality that we've already been made alive in Christ, pursue in practice what is positionally true of you in Christ, be who Christ has already made you to be. This is the journey of sanctification, right? This is the journey of the lifelong path of Christian discipleship, following Jesus, saying no to sin, saying yes to righteousness, knowing what he has said, doing what he has said. This is sanctification. And we come to this, uh, again, perfectly humbled, nose down and chin up, that he, knowing he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. And that means, friends, if sin is powerful enough that we need his protection, that humbles us. But knowing that we have his protection, that strengthens us, gives us courage, gives us hope. It gives us an ability every single day, and, and I'm, I'm just like you guys, uh, there are seasons in our lives, right, where, where maybe, it's, maybe it's a specific sin that, that seems to be a, a hard weed to root out. And that can be discouraging, can it? You feel like, man, I, again, again I'm coming to you for grace for the same thing over and over and over again. Come to that battle knowing that you need his protection. And come to that battle knowing that you have his protection encourages us to the sky, it humbles us to our knees, and it gives us this assurance and confidence of knowing that our soul is his. If we are in Christ, we have that assurance. And from that assurance, we are called in this journey of sanctification to kill the sin that has already been killed on the cross. That's the pattern of Christian discipleship, to put to death the sin that Christ has already put to death. Fight sin knowing that he has already disarmed the rulers and authorities and triumphed over them in him. So when, when, fellow believers, when gossip and rage and slander and jealousy and lust and, and pride, and the list goes on and on, when those things creep up again in your heart, kill them. Don't try to manage them. Don't try to coddle them. Don't try to, to uh, put them aside or, or wipe over them. Kill them with the grace that Christ has already given to you and I. Put to death what has already been killed on the cross and do this from the assurance of knowing, of knowing that you may know that you have eternal life, from the assurance of knowing that sin, dear believer, can no longer take your soul. And that's good news. 
So this passage in verse 18 says that. Verse 19 goes on to say that this assurance not only means that sin can no longer take your soul, but it also, assurance, means that Satan will not win the war. He will not. He has not. He cannot win the war. Look at verse 19. We know that we are from God, born from God, renewed from God, given new life from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And here we have in this verse, one amongst many throughout John's writings, of uh, in some ways kind of stark contrasts, kind of uh, dualities, kind of a black and white picture, this idea that there are two opposite but not equal realms. The realm of God and the realm of Satan. Light and darkness. Good and evil. Uh, all that is pure and holy, all that is impure and unholy, the forces of good, the forces of evil. And we see once again throughout this book these stark contrasts. And don't miss what I said just a few sentences ago. These are opposite kingdoms, but do not think that they are equal. That Satan is punching so far out of his weight class the battle is not an even battle. The battle is not a nail-biter. The battle is decided. The war is decided. That Satan will not win the war. Now, one of the obvious impl implications, or immediate implications, I should say, that, that we need to draw from this is the reminder that we're in a spiritual war. Now, I know I'm speaking to perhaps many believers who have walked with the Lord for many years. You might know that. Initially, that might seem... Obvious, well, of course, of course we know, uh, you know, the, the battle's not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of darkness, et cetera, et cetera. But we need to remind ourselves every single day that when we wake up in the morning, every thought that we have, everything that we say, everything that we do, every interaction, every context that we go in, we are navigating a spiritual war. We know that. But do you know that? Is it shaping how you make sense of challenges in your life? Is it shaping how you make sense of maybe, maybe this last week someone said a nasty comment to you and it just cut you to the heart? Do you know that there's a spiritual warfare, a spiritual war going on? And if there is, and Scripture describes that there is, that means, fellow bro brothers and sisters, we got to know our true enemy, our true enemy, and what I mean by that is that your true enemy is not your spouse. Your true enemy is not your kids. Your true enemy is not your boss. Your true enemy is not that person in your life that pushes every single one of your buttons. They push buttons you didn't even know you had. They lean on them. They put salt on them and vinegar. And, uh, the true, they're not your true enemy. The true enemy, blue states, is not the red states. The true enemy, red states, is not the blue states. The true and real and ultimate enemy behind every enemy, the true evil, ultimate evil behind every expression of evil, is Satan, the forces of darkness, the forces of evil, that, those that are opposite, not equal, to God. That's the true enemy. And knowing and remembering our true enemy, the true battle that we are fighting, in an ironic way, gives believers a unique ability to love <laughs> the enemy in front of our enemy. Are you with me? If Satan's the true enemy, and then someone this week or last week just says something that you know, puts you at a 10, 
fellow believer, you can say in that moment, wait a second, this person is not my true enemy. <laughs> or in an interaction, or in a context where you are sensing an intense uh, friction or battle or conflict or whatever it might be, you can take a breath to your Christian and say, wait a second, this person, this situation, this, con- this is not my true enemy. Satan, the prince of the power of the air, is at work. And it sets our minds in such a way that we can love the enemy in front of our enemy while wage war at the enemy behind our enemy, Satan, in darkness. We've got to know our true enemy if we're in a spiritual war. And at the same time, we've got to know our true hero, the true hero of the story. And that true hero of the story is certainly not me, it's certainly not you, it's not us. That if we are waging in war, your hope and my hope is not how strong we are. It's not in the resources that we have. It's not in the networks that we have. The true hero of our story is not us, that we are to amass enough helpful hints for hurtful habits. We are to amass enough kind of moralistic skills to, that we could face down our own giants. We are not our own true hero. He is the hero. Christ is our hero. And that means if we're in a spiritual war, we got to know the true enemy. we got to remember who our true hero is, Jesus Christ. And that frees us as believers to face the battles, face the battles of spiritual warfare. We've got to face them seriously, soberly. Because, friends, battles can be lost. There can be battles in your life and in my life that could be lost in the forces of darkness can win those. What am I saying? If we're going to fight these battles, and if we're going to take this war seriously, the spiritual war that we are in, at least three things. Uh, We're going to need prayer, we're going to need God's Word, and we're going to need community. There certainly could be much more things that we could talk about, but if we're going to face this battle seriously, we at least need those three, prayer, word, and community. We can't do this battle alone. We can't do this battle without God's word, and we can't do this spiritual battle without spiritual means of prayer. Remember all the scary movies that you've seen? Remember the proverbial scene, you know, when you get the... uh, the, uh, the heroes, you know, maybe a list of four or five or people, and they are walking through this ominous forest, let's call it. And they're walking through this path, and it's kind of cold and a little bit uh, damp and wet and ominous, and the creaking of the branches and strange silhouettes in the woods and eyes peering out. And all of a sudden, uh, our cast of characters comes to a fork in the road, left or right. What is the famous line that someone in the group always says? They don't know which way to go, so they, someone says, I got an idea. You go that way. I'll go this way. <laughs> Bad idea. We all know how this goes. Let me guess. You only got one flashlight, and someone didn't check the batteries. And let me guess, someone lost the map maybe four or five scenes before. And let me guess, by the time the the group splits ways, you go that way, I'll go this way. All right, so they split ways, and five or six or seven or steps in, of course, the person in the back that no one's watching, they're the first to go. And it just, it all just, it all just snowballs, it all breaks apart from there. I got an idea, let's split up. I got an idea, let's, let's ditch the lamp that lights our path, the lamp that guides our way. Dear fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual war. 
you go that way, I'll go this way, is not a good strategy. We need each other. Not having God's word and prayer to light our path and to guide our way is, is not a good strategy of being equipped for this battle. We need all three of those things. And that's one of the reasons why this past year and a half has been so hard. And I get it. These are strange times. This is a, 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 a history-shaping, challenging moment. But it's a moment that we've got to think very creatively through to make sure that we are still doing this Christian journey together. I need you and you need me. You need each other in your lives that as we engage in this spiritual battle, we've got to take the war seriously because battles can be lost. Battles can be lost. Notice that I said that? The war, on the other hand, it's a different story. Because at the same time as we take the battle seriously, in the exact same time, we can face every battle with hope. Why? Because we know the war, the war is won. The ending is final. The ending is determined. The ending is set. That we know, we know the war was won because of what Christ has done on the cross. You guys, it's a matter of time before he returns again, before fully and finally and completely all the forces of darkness are closed up and shut away. The final victory when our true king returns and we will be with him. And that means, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, when we face battles of spiritual warfare, yes, take them seriously. We're at war. But man, take them with hope. Take them with confidence. Take them with assurance. Not because you're so strong, but because he's so strong. Not because you're so wise, but because he's so wise. Not because that we can protect ourselves in and of ourselves, but that his protection has surrounded us. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Backtracking to verse 18, the evil one does not touch him. We are in him. And that assurance means sin can't take our soul. That assurance means that Satan will not win the war. And that assurance shows us that our true hero, our true savior is Christ. Look at the last two verses of this book. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. At first glance, verse 21 seems completely random. <laughs> kind of like this, you know, fading jump, jump shot Steph Curry for the three as he kind of falls out of, what is this? Little children, keep yourself from idols. Well, this verse actually quite beautifully ties into the verse right before it in the entire book, this idea that Jesus is our true Savior, our true, the genuine, the real one, the only one. And that the opposite of the true and genuine and real and only Savior, the only other option for that is what Scripture calls an idol. False saviors, counterfeit gods. That if we have been given understanding to know Christ, to make sense of who he is and what he's done, to receive that by faith, we've been given that understanding by God, that we know him who is true. The true and real Savior, Acts 4.12, there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. It's him and him alone. And that calls us to forsake all false gods, to forsake all idols, and throw ourselves at the foot of the real and only Savior, 
Jesus. Because idols, as has been said uh, before, or by another, are, are good things, oftentimes are good things that become ultimate things in our lives. Idols can be anything that plagiarizes the promises of God, that says what God says, but the problem is the thing that's saying what God is saying is not God, <laughs> then we found an idol. Idols plagiarize God's promises and they can never deliver. Idols offer God-sized hope and they always disappoint. This is what idols are. And you guys, they are sneaky. They are good. And they, because they're saying what our soul truly needs. We need promises like, I'll never lead you or forsake you. Promises like, you are loved. Promises like, I will give you meaning and purpose. I know the plans I've, I've set out for you. All of these promises and many, many, many others, our soul needs those. But what's really important is that we make sure that whoever is making those promises is God. Because if those promises come from any other source, any other voice, any other place, they're going to let us down. And I, I find oftentimes I can spot an idol in my heart. Those moments in life when kind of the bottom of the basket has fallen out and the wheels are rolling off the wagon and, you know, we are just totally in a tumble-dry mode when you and I close our eyes and when we take a deep breath and when we say, everything's going to be okay because at least I still have this. Or at least I still have that. Let me ask you, what is that this or what is this that? <laughs> what fills that blank? That when you're kind of um, panicked, lost, scared, concerned, anxious, what do you say to yourself to anchor yourself in hope and in confidence and in assurance? Everything's going to be okay because at least I know I have this. My friends, if whatever fills that blank is not God, we've discovered an idol in our hearts. And oftentimes they're good things. They're fine things. Career. If we say, I need, I need meaning, I need purpose, I need to know that I'm, I'm, I'm making a contribution for good in this world, and at least I know I have that because I have my career. That's an idol, isn't it? What gives us true meaning? What gives us true purpose? What gives us true value to know that we are worthwhile to others and to society? God gives us that. If we say, um, everything's going to be be okay, because at least I know I have a pile of resources that if everything in my life is falling apart and burning down, I can still come back to this small pile of stuff, resources that I've set aside just in case I need it. Our soul is asking, we need something that's never going to leave us and never going to forsake us. We need something that's always going to provide for us. We need something that's always going to be there. My friends, a pile of stuff is not going to do that for you. Only Christ can do that. We have these God-sized needs for love and acceptance. We might look uh, side to side for relationships to do that. Maybe a marriage, maybe the hope of marriage, maybe a romance. We need a true lover, and the only one who can be that true Savior and God and love of our heart is Him. People can disappoint. We need to throw ourselves on our true Savior. Here's another one. Sometimes in seasons of exhaustion, we say, I need, I need rest, I need break, I need to get to the Caribbean. If only I can get to Aruba, then I can rest. See how sneaky idols are? When I just said that, you thought, well, 
it sure would, maybe it would help. <laughs> I'm not talking about physical rest, right? We all need a nap from time. Absolutely. We all need a break. Absolutely. But I'm talking about exhaustion of the soul. What's going to be your true energy, your true hope, your true savior? It's only Jesus. It's only him. That if we are looking for our light and life from anything else or anyone else, you're going to be let down. And may that brokenness, may that sense of disillusionment drive you to forsake all that is false and to throw yourself on he who is true, your Savior, your only Savior, Jesus Christ. So what I think these final few verses, these final four verses are saying to us in this affirmation of the assurance that we have, I think these verses are saying to you and I, dear Christians, be rest assured. Have confidence. Chin up. Because sin and Satan do not hold a candle to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, our loving Lord and gracious King. And Father, I pray that this sense of gospel-deep confidence would truly be a help and an encouragement and a hope to everyone who can hear my voice. Lord, we have challenges that lie behind us in last week. We have got challenges that lie before us in the week to come. Lord, we need someone that we can bank on, and we thank you that we have that someone in you. So, Father, I pray that you would shape us into a community of, of Christians, of believers, who stand firm in you and stand soberly as we face this war, that we band together and grow together as we go out and, and do this journey of Christian discipleship. And Father, take every milestone on the way to draw glory to yourself that we may truly have that confidence in you, knowing sin can't touch us, Satan will lose, and you are our only Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.